Welcome to Places, everyone. I'm Lonnie Firestone. I've taken some time away from the podcast because my current professional work has begun to take up more attention and has demanded that my focus stay in the classroom. I founded a curricular theater program called Exploring Black Narratives that is situated in Jewish middle schools and high schools and that centers the work of acclaimed Black playwrights. It's been incredible over the past three years to work with such amazing teachers, administrators, and students at a variety of schools. Even though I miss doing the podcast and doing interviews more regularly, I've been rewarded by the experience of working with students on their own interview skills. An in-depth interview is, at its core, a rich conversation. And one of the best facets of our program has been motivating students to ask big questions of their own about the plays we study and to present their interview questions to professional actors who bring the same plays to life on stage. One such guest actor whom I was lucky enough to work with has been Ron Emile, who starred in a production of Ma Rainey's Black Bottom by August Wilson. Ron was the guest actor at two high schools that participated in EBN units that focused on the play. One day, after a series of guest artist sessions that Ron led dynamically, he sent me a message saying that he'd like to expand beyond guest sessions and work with EBN more programmatically. We began to talk it through and to envision how he would contribute on the planning and developmental side of the work. At the end of the spring 2023 school year, Ron and I conversed about our work, the experience of teaching theater, and how Jewish students expand their minds in the units that we prepare. What Ron didn't know at the time is that I was thinking of asking if he'd like to come on board as a co-director. In the time since we recorded the following conversation, I've offered the role and he's accepted. It's exciting to think about the year ahead about deepening relationships with existing partner schools, and about building connections with new partners. It's exciting to read the same plays and find new ideas. It's exciting every time a student connects to a story that is outside their own experience. Here's my conversation with Ron, which offers just a glimpse of the ideas that we explore when we do the work of exploring Black narratives. I hope you'll enjoy. We just did a unit this spring at a school in New York, in the New York suburbs. And there were actually two different units at two different grades because we had the honor of working with multiple classrooms. When you enter a classroom and you're about to embark upon a study of a particular work, whether it's new or classic, what's going through your mind? What are you hoping the students get into? What kind of transformation do you hope takes place? Well, I'm excited right away just by the prospect of being in a room with younger minds, especially high school students. They're in such a place of constant growth and constant transformation. They're ready to soak up new ideas and new experiences. And that excites me. As soon as I enter the classroom, the ability to impact them in a way that they aren't normally impacted or they haven't been impacted before is like the preeminent thing for me. And that's the thing that I love truly is like, okay. Today, I get to give them an experience that they probably otherwise wouldn't have had. The weight and the responsibility that comes with that is very important, but it's also like thrilling. I get to bring them into the world of that in a really real way. So yeah, excitement. 
I mean, teaching is so much like acting, isn't it? Like the amount that you're on. It's funny. Like it's nowhere near as like strenuous as acting, right? Because I don't know, like I don't feel on in the same way when I'm teaching as I do when I'm acting. It's different. It's like, it's more laid back. It's like, oh yeah, I just get to be myself here. You know, and kind of just like drop some gems on them, you know, give them a little bit of wisdom. I always feel like I'm taking the pulse of the room constantly, both just from a regular teacher perspective. And sometimes the teacher in the classroom, the English teacher is one who is volleying with us, depending on the style of a teacher we work with. So there are some teachers that say, this is your unit, take it away. And then there are some that are really actively involved. Yeah. And it's a constant collaboration. So there's always taking the pulse of the room. What are students getting and what are they digesting? For sure. Because we're doing the study of specifically Black writers, there's always this added layer, not just how are they receiving the material, but Mm -hmm. are they thinking of themselves as reading the work of, in most cases, a person of a different background? Yeah. And how they're taking that in. And because we're in a school that's entirely Jewish, we can say, how do we, as a class of Jewish students, reflect on this? As opposed to in a general school, non-denominational, where it might be a diverse class in all respects, racially, religiously. Here, there's a sense of a collective. How does a Jewish perspective on this take shape? Absolutely. What's some of your feeling on that coming into a school as a non-Jewish person in a room full of Jewish students? It's thrilling. It really is. I'm walking into the school and I'm like, okay, I'm the only person who looks like me here today, <laughs> which is a very exciting place to be at. You know what I mean? Cause you're like, all right, cool. Um, but then it's with the added onus of like, I get to make an impact today. The students, you know, some of them even voiced it to me afterwards. The number one thing that I could take away from them was like the minute they walked into the classroom and saw me, their bodies were like, whoa, something's different today. I could see that, like, take over, like, their whole being. For some of them, it was excitement. For some of them, it was a little bit of trepidation, like, what's going on? But as soon as we got rolling, I could just see everyone kind of come on board. Because it's really hard to read a play that you can't empathize with because you haven't lived it. I think for them, where they're at, at their age and in their processes and in their lives, it's hard for them to really like read that play and feel it in a real way. They could read it and appreciate it and kind of critique it. But I think it's different when you have someone in the room who can breathe life into that character. One, because they understand it from a performer perspective, but also because they've lived so many parts of it. The words sound different. The words land differently. There were several students who told me like there were parts of the monologue that they heard different for the first time. Or like, oh, I never realized that when he said that, that that's what he was feeling or like the emotion you put underneath that. I understand it. It's so clear. And there were people who didn't understand like why one of the characters in one of the plays, why he held this resentment towards his father for so long. And, you know, why he just saw his father as just a check in the mail of your month automated. You know, they couldn't understand what that was about. And then after they heard the monologue, they were like, whoa, I actually kind of understand that a little bit better now. My excitement is like, okay, I get to like bring reality into the room today. It feels more significant. There are so many hurdles in the way we talk about racial differences, the way we either acknowledge how large it is or 
at the same time acknowledge the humanity across yeah. them. It's so deeply confusing in so many ways. And there can be so much pushback to it and even resentment at the very idea of it. So much so that anything around uh, phrasings of DEI gets such eye rolls and grunts of discontent from so many people across businesses. We're seeing like the massive backlash over the past couple of years of that. So why does theater get us there or does it get us there in a better and more productive way of conversation? I like to think it does. I like to think it gets us there and I hope it gets us there. I think more times than not, it gets us there. I think any time that people are willing to walk into a theater to sit down and see and or hear a play, because we always say that you don't, what's the line that we always say? You go to hear a play and you go to see a movie. It's like the thing that we always say. Like, mm-hmm. um, So I think anytime people go to see and or hear a play, they're already open to what they might experience. Whereas in most situations in life, I mean, even honestly, even with the students, even having the opportunity to go into the classroom with them, that's a safe space. The theater is a safe space. Anytime you feel like you can enter into a safe space and encounter the thing that everybody wants to walk around or tiptoe around or sidestep, I think because you're open to it and you're in a safe space, that breeds conversation, being willing to be changed by the conversation. And how do you mean safe? I mean, safe safe in the way that, like, people wouldn't be as open to something like that happening just on the street or happening on the train or happening, you know, somewhere where you're not necessarily ready to deal with it. But I think when you're in a space like a theater, you're in a space like a classroom, you feel more ready to like, okay, let's do this. You know, let's grapple with this thing. Let's learn something. You know, let's have a conversation. Let's really encounter the thing head on. Yeah, for sure. Because I think that sometimes when people push back against the phrase safe space, Mm -hmm. the perspective they're coming from is one that we're also afraid of offending people. And there's such a general fear of cancellation that we've gotten too sensitive and fragile and what have you. And I think that when I think of the best way that a safe space can exist, what I think of is a cultivated space of sincerity and honesty and curiosity. One of the moments that I'll never forget is when a student in one class asked a question about black fathers that out of context, I think would be widely seen as inappropriate or Mm -hmm. offensive or Mm -hmm. ignorant. And I could hear in the way he asked it because of the conversation we were having that he was coming from a real place of uncertainty and curiosity and wanted to clarify things with hopefully a positive confirmation. And it felt really meaningful in that moment to try to offer a positive confirmation. Yeah. And to try to provide some context and framing around it and where that perception may have come from. And hopefully to get him to a place without any coercion that Mm -hmm. he would say, oh, that does resonate. And it does seem rooted in the story. And I have a better framing of it now. And I thought that never would have come up 
as a question if we didn't cultivate a classroom environment. And I got to admit, I don't know that I nail it every time. Yeah. But I yeah. felt like in that moment, the class felt, whether it's safe or whether it's comfortable with one another, that a question like that could be asked without the tremendous fear of shutdown. And that's yeah. what I think is the most important starting place yeah. to be able to cultivate a place like that where you can ask a question. Absolutely. And that's why sometimes I I have a little bit of hesitation when sometimes a school out of a great interest will propose or suggest the idea of partnering with another school that's majority Black students. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I'm a little hesitant around that. Yeah. Because of the possibility that that question that could be offensive out of context either yeah. will get asked and will be received very poorly, or it will just sit inside the student, like trying yeah. to push its way open, but yeah. being pressed because of the fear of that. What do you think about that? And by contrast, what you offer as an educator that yeah. wouldn't necessarily happen as well if it's like different groups of students merging? It's so interesting when it when thinking about like the different groups of students merging because it does become much more sensitive. And I think that's like the risky part is like, okay, if a question like that is asked and one of the students from the majority black school feels offended and responds to that right away, now it becomes an issue of trying to mediate the classroom, trying to get all the energy and all the emotions, you know, back. So, okay, everybody, you know, take a breath. You know, we're just having a conversation. This is an open conversation. You know, you want to kind of try to remind them of that. Because that's the only way I really feel like it can happen. Like you said, you know, the space has to be cultivated for it. I don't know that that we can just go into it blind, you know? Like, I don't know if they have to be like some sort of pre-meeting or, or what, but I feel like there would have to be something because obviously everyone is coming in with well intent and with good intentions, but people are curious and people don't know and they want to know, you know? And sometimes they ask a question in a way that doesn't sound cool or in a way that does make you feel like, yo, what, what'd you just say? But that's when you want to take a step back and breathe and be like, wait, what do you mean by that? You know, I think things like, what do you mean by that? Or can you say more about that are great ways to continue conversations in rooms and spaces like this. And I think that's where the growth happens when you can see it from your point of view and theirs in real time. Mm -hmm. Most of the Jewish schools that we've been working with and most Jewish schools in this country generally are predominantly comprised of white presenting students Mm -hmm. and faculty. And there are occasional students of color, Mm -hmm. black Jewish students, Asian, Latin American, sometimes a few in a class, sometimes one, sometimes none. And when you are in a classroom and you see one student who appears to be Latin American or black in the class, Does that alter your style in any way? Do you give a subtle nod? Do you check on their (laughs) reaction? Um, (laughs) How does that work? Because we were just talking about the challenges of mixed demographic classes where that student might already feel singled out or self-conscious. Definitely. I was laughing when you said a subtle nod. 
because I will throw the head nod like for real, for real at the student. I will. <laughs> <laughs> Just a little, a little bit of acknowledgement. Um, but yeah, inherently there is an instinct to want to protect them or to make sure that they feel protected in this conversation and in this space. But it's also like I have to do that in a way that's fair because I don't want to make it seem like I'm skewing the lesson to favor or take care of or cater to that student or those students. Or like assuming that they, of course, Ex- like exactly. deal with a particular idea. Right. You know, exactly. Just like Mr. Johnson in Pipeline, you know, looking right at Omari and being like, why was Bigger Thomas? You know what I mean? Like, you definitely never want to do that. And that's that's important to me, too. Like, even as a Black man myself, you know, sometimes that can work in my favor to bring it directly to that student because they automatically, like, inherently feel some sort of bond with us because we look similar. But at the same time, I think what I try to do is I try to speak about the lesson and bring my experience to the lesson and speak to them openly about about my life and things that have happened to me in a way that I hope will encourage that student to want to speak up and jump in and be like, oh, I can relate to that. That reminds me of the time that I, you know what I mean? And if something like that could happen where I can just get their voice in the room in a different way, I prefer when they make comments that are about the play, but more so about themselves, you know, and how they relate to the play. Because that's when it's like, okay, you're putting a piece of yourself into the room in conversation now. Great, we can do something with that. At the school that we were at in May, it was like everybody in the room being like, oh yeah, I can relate to that. Oh yeah, my mom. Oh yeah, my dad. Oh yeah, my grandpa. That's again, kind of like the goal overall, right? Is to get everyone interested in a way where they're not just critiquing what's on the page, but they're in real time, like relating their real life experiences to that thing. So students of color, I definitely like think there's a part of my brain that's like, oh, get them like involved and get them interested. Like, you know, make them want to hop in. But we can't make them do anything. All you can do is hope that they will. Are there certain advantages or insights that Jewish students studying work by Black writers or about Black identity or history will, will have that connect them more readily? Or is that false? Is there not necessarily anything specific that would create a linkage? Um, or even, by contrast, are there certain hurdles that a classroom of Jewish students might have from your mm-hmm. perspective and your um, classroom experiences? Yeah, I think, um, yeah, I think, I think there are definitely a lot more hurdles and similarities. Um, and a lot of the hurdles are like socioeconomic hurdles, you know, just coming from different backgrounds, you know, coming from wealthier backgrounds, you know, having experiences that are nothing like the things that they're reading in the plays because they're like, oh, I've never, I've never had to look like that. So I never have looked like that before. You know, um, I think, I think a lot of, of what we see in the plays that we cover are characters that have to live like that. You know, that's, that's the life that they know. And so they live it. Um, And I think that can be a hurdle, but also like somewhere in there, there's humanity, you know, and that's, that's the thing is like, you know, even in the play like Fences, you know, they don't, they don't necessarily know what it's like to be Corey, you know, but are there a few of them who do know what it's like to leave school and go work for a few hours at their part-time job because they want to make some money on the side? Sure. You know, and that's, that's the only hook in that you need to start to understand Corey. Mm-hmm. 
Are there ones of them who play after school sports and who want to become professional athletes? Sure. It's the only hook in you need to understand, Corey. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Are there ones of them who might have a sideways relationship with their fathers? Of course. You know what I mean? We all do. Like, that's not a thing that's specific to race at all. Fathers and sons, there's millions of plays and movies and stories written about that because we all know fathers and sons. And that's the hook in. And it's interesting what you're saying about the socioeconomic disconnect, possibly, (laughs) because even though many, many students and families who attend Jewish school are there on financial aid, it's not the case that everyone attending schools is coming from wealth and affluence. And yet there are going to be many families who support the tuition of other families. Mm -hmm. You talked about hurdles. One interesting connection slash hurdle that I find is the sense that we have a shared narrative. Mm. It's an amazing point of connection, and it can also be a stumbling block. I think that the ways that many Jewish community members joined the civil rights era and movement marches is so powerful and amazing. And it's such a source of pride for so many Jews, really. It can sometimes build a narrative that is stepping into a cloud of, uh, of, of actual continuity where we can't actually see where the trail has left us. It's so vague in yeah. terms of what we're currently doing or what we currently are embarking upon or sustaining in relationships. But we know that we were involved in the civil rights movement. That can be both a connection and a hurdle. Sure. How does that resonate with you? I agree with you. I think it can be both. You know what I mean? I think historically, there definitely has always been a connection between the Black and Jewish communities, like, for various reasons over time. But I think there definitely has been, like, a handshake kind of agreement between between the two cultures for a long time. But also at the same time, I think sometimes it can go the other way. Because this thing happens where, like, people start to compare struggles, and it's like, oh, well, we struggled in this way. Well, we struggled in this way. Well, you know, our struggle is still going on. Well, our struggle is still going on, too. It's just different. And it can just continue. But in both cultures having to struggle, there is a unity. There's a common understanding somewhere in there. We want to help you because we can understand it, too, somewhere in there. So after one session last year in which you were a guest artist, for some sessions on an August Wilson play that you starred in. And they had gone so well and you were so well-received. And I figured like, wow, this is great. Ron's such an amazing guest artist. I'm going to keep asking him. Yeah. And then you sent me a message and said, let's talk about something more. Mm -hmm. So where was that coming from? What was the impetus of wanting to do something more programmatic? Really, it was from the impact that I could see that the sessions had had on the students. To meet a group of students in a classroom setting over Zoom and hold their attention for an hour is not an easy thing to do. You know what I mean? They're looking for any reason to like turn their ears off. You know what I mean? They're looking at you on a screen and it's already kind of, uh, you know what I mean? So anytime that you can literally like change their posture you already know that you're in in that way 
but yeah, it was like the questions that they asked and the answers I gave them and then the thoughts that they would go on to formulate from those answers and, you know, just to see them learning in real time and to see them appreciating a different experience in real time and not only appreciating it, but trying their best to understand it in a real way. You know, I think a lot of us can look at something and be like, oh yeah, like I can appreciate that. That's cool. Or I like it or whatever, but to really understand it takes curiosity and takes wanting to know and wanting to understand. And that's what I could see from so many of the students. And I was like, man, this is really cool to take these few plays into schools full of students of a different culture who can't relate to this right away. But look how interested they are. Look at the questions that they want to ask and look how they walk away like different after the session. To see that I could do that on Zoom, I was like, oh, this is really cool. I was kind of just like, one, like, how can we continue this? Because it feels very worthwhile. It feels very rewarding for everyone involved. And then two, it was even better because it was like, wait, can we do some of these in person? And doing the in-person sessions is everything I just said and even more. Now you're really in the room and you can feel how dynamic everything in the room is. So that made me even more excited. These last eight sessions that we did at the school made me even more excited for it because I was like, oh, like it's even more of that feeling in person. I remember driving from that school back home after you had sent me that text and we talked on the phone and I I wasn't sure at the time if you knew that the program was specifically curated for Jewish schools. <laughs> I wasn't sure if you thought the school that you had been a guest artist in was a Jewish school because yeah. we hadn't talked big picture yeah. uh, at that stage. And so I said, I just want you to know what you're getting into <laughs> before we get started. And remember what you said? Yeah, I was like, yeah, I, I know. And I'm more excited <laughs> by that. I'm, I'm more excited by that prospect. You know what I mean? Yeah. It feels I almost yeah, like I- stopped the car on the highway. <laughs> <laughs> I was just so taken aback, really. Yeah. Being able to introduce someone to something in a real way and watch them like really feel it and understand it for the first time, like that's a feeling you can't really describe. That's the same feeling I get when I'm on stage and I'm in a role. So how cool to get to go in and speak about the ones that I can relate to and help them understand and watch their excitement when they start to understand and just make it human for them. You know what I mean? Because I think so many times when you're studying something, it can just seem... Not that it's not real, but it kind of just seems like something you're working on for school. It's not immediate for you. It's kind of just like, oh, yeah, a school thing. And I think that's the beauty is like coming in and making it immediate for them because their ears perk up when it's immediate. They're like, wait a minute, like, oh, this is not just a story that I was reading. Like, this is a fully formed person just like me. And the idea of doing that kind of work was very exciting to me and and grows more exciting to me with every experience that we do. That's awesome. And thanks for talking with me about it. For sure. Looking forward to the next chapter. Me too. Me too. Until then. All right, Lonnie. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to Places Everyone on iTunes or Spotify. And follow me, Lonnie Firestone, on Instagram. Podcast production and original music by Cody Crabb. Artwork by Jennifer Klockner. See you next time. 